Hello everyone, this is Oscar. Welcome to Room for Pleasure. Growing up, we tend to build our sexual reality on what we hear from our social environment. But we are all unique and our needs are different. I believe normalizing talking about pleasure and sex and hearing other people's stories can inspire many of us to discover and embrace our sexuality. That's why I sit down with people I met in Lisbon to talk about in which ways they're experiencing pleasure. Hello everyone, welcome to Room for Pleasure. Today my guest is Philip. Uh, he is 38 years old, he's born in Madeira and been living in Lisbon since he is one. So uh, we have a local voice today and I'm quite excited to have him. Hello Philip, how are you? Hello, good afternoon, thank you for having me. I'm really well, thank you. Um, so I would like to start with asking you like, if you can tell us a bit about yourself, Absolutely. I'm 38, soon to be 39. Uh, I was born in Madeira, as you said, I came very young. Uh, I grew up in the Lisbon outskirts. I took a degree in history, which I really loved, but was never able to practice uh, because it's not something that has a lot of jobs waiting for you here in Portugal. So I tutored a bit after I wrapped up my degree, but now I work as a first line manager on a call center here in Lisbon, like I imagine many thousands of people uh, in, in the city. Then what else can I tell you about myself? I think the very, like the, the, those very cliche things, I love to travel, I love to read, I have a huge passion about Jane Austen, for example, so yeah. Pretty, that pretty basic stuff. No, great. Thank you so much. And uh, for example, if we ask your friends uh, to describe you uh, in three words, uh, what would they tell us? I think, okay, there's a lot of wishful thinking on this question, right? Like, of course, I'm going to, ask, to answer what I think they would say, but also what I wish they would say. But I think they would say needy predictable and bubbly bubbly okay yeah. that's sweet okay um then yeah i would like to uh, open up with our um, our first question uh that i would like to ask you about your first ever sexual experience and in our previous talking um, I asked you about, like, you know, is there something you consider as a game changer? And then we touched a bit uh, on that here as well. But yeah, as much as you would like to talk on it, uh, I'm curious to listen. This is a really good question, just because it, it is something I had shared with you previous to the, the podcast that uh, I'd like to explore, because it has to do uh, with the pressure on men about, I think, their first time. So as I shared, I grew up in the Lisbon outskirts and I was always very effeminate. So it's very hard. It was very hard for me. I'm going to say try and hide that I was gay. I don't think I tried even. It was just an accepted fact that at least I was effeminate. So it was a harsh environment. And of course, I had my small group of friends and I wanted to I don't know, make myself visible somehow. So I made up, I had lost my virginity. 
And I told them I was no longer virgin and that I've been with this guy and that guy, etc. And this one of my closest friends till this day, uh, we're about to celebrate our 25th anniversary on uh, May this year. So it's one of my oldest friends we met in uh, preparatory school. Uh, we were I had a huge crush on him. I had a huge crush on him for years and he had a bunk bed in his bedroom. Uh, he lived very close to me, but I was sleeping there. I don't know why, like I was there for the for the night. And we started making out. And eventually it led to sex. And I was super nervous because this guy thought I was no longer a virgin. So that was okay. And I was. And I bottomed. Uh, and it was terrible. Uh, it was super hurtful. Well, we, we were very young. So... There is considerable pre preparation for anal sex that the vast majority of teenagers ignore. Um, and I just remember it was super painful and terrible. And I was just literally praying it would end. And eventually I had to tell him like, hey, I'm going to be super honest. I'm not, uh, I, I am a virgin. I never had sex before. And the issue is it traumatized me for years. I wasn't able to have um, penetration sex for a very long time uh, in my life because I think there was some kind of body trauma to it, right? It was super uh, painful experience. So it was a place that I felt a lot of pleasure with, but then when penetration with stimulation and preliminaries, but when, with foreplay, sorry, when something, when penetration happened, it was awful. So it really took a long time just because of that thing of wanting to stand out and like, yeah, I'm 14 and, I, and I'm having sex, which I wasn't. So this that I described happened about when I was about 16 and he was 17. Luckily, we've always remained uh, good friends. Uh, there's this book by a guy called Lee Rutledge called Gay Friends. It's a very small book. It's just a series of phrases about what gay friends do, but it has a really good intro. And he says that, that and it is uh, more or less a common behavior between gay males, that it usually starts with sex, but if it evolves into a friendship, it will very hardly ever go back, and those friendships will be very deep. Uh, so yeah, that, that was, I think it's the first time I say like this publicly, but I also think that at almost 40, it's important to talk about this, like, it's not that I felt exactly the pressure of saying I already had sex, but it was an amazing way to stand out, right? Also because there's this connotation or there was more at the time that gay males are very lascivious um, and very, uh, and they're having sex all the time, etc. Uh, so yeah, yeah, that was, that was it. That was my, that was my first sexual experience. Thank you so much for sharing this openly. And it's crazy, like how we see things at that age, like comparing constantly each other. And we all have this kind of pressure, uh, I guess. And it's obvious that it was really felt harshly on by your side. Um, I just have a question. Do you think uh, if you didn't tell your friends that you had sex before and if that guy knew that you were virgin, do you think it would be easier for you to communicate at that time your needs? Yes, I do. I wanted to point this out. It's so amazing that when I think back of it, like I was so, I pressured myself so much to keep the lie 
that I was willing to be there having my first sexual experience that, as I shared, was extremely painful. And my goal was actually, then it came to a point I couldn't, I couldn't stand it anymore and I had to say something. But my goal initially was not to say anything, right? Just keep it all the way till the end, till eventually the guy came and that would be it, right? Um, so yeah, I do. I do think that if I had not done this and if I had been clear about what I had been sexually, I had had sexual experiences, just not a few, just not penetration sex. I think it would have been really different. And knowing this person, even at that time, I'm sure he would have been way more careful. Maybe we would have talked before, or at least it would just have stayed on four plays and penetration would have happened at a different situation, like not because his parents were in the house. So this was during the night. There was an, a study separating that his parents' room and his room. Uh, yeah, but that was it. Be because he really thought it was okay, right? That, that there was this guy uh, willing to have sex. Um, he knew I had a crush on him. I apparently had had sex several times. So what, what would be the issue, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, another question of mine is, uh, what is one sexual bias belief you would like to change in gay community? This is likely the most cliche bias, which is masculine gay males are tops and effeminate gay males are bottoms. There's this Brazilian YouTuber. Brazil has a huge YouTube community and a huge LGBT plus uh, YouTube community, uh, especially based around Sao Paulo. Um, and so they often for engagement, this was on Instagram actually, but he has huge YouTube uh, base. And he asked like, what, what questions would you like to ask me, etc. And he has spoken about this several times that everyone, several people ask when he opens these question boxes, like top or bottom. And he's in a relationship five years now. And I love that he said, that's so 2010, asking like top or bottom is so 2010. And it's, it's, it's true. Like, I think that personally and in the community, I see, personally, I feel that it does change. It depends on, well, what makes you horny changes as well with age, right? And with life and with events and what, what attracts you sexually also changes, usually increases. Usually there's more things, right? Uh, you open your spectrum, but this this thing of defining it so tops are masculine effeminate guys are bottoms which means the masculine guys are the men in the relationship and the effeminate guys are the women in the relationship which is extremely paradoxical right because the whole purpose of a same-sex male relationship is that we are both male in that relationship and i think that stereotype is disappearing bit by bit also with a discussion on gender, it, it, it is slowly disappearing, but there is still a lot of this. And for example, I think that this is not so well known outside of the gay male community, but especially when I grew up, so in literally in the beginning of the century, so in the O's, in the early O's, I think some, somehow still today, much lighter, but still today, 
there, there is this internal prejudice on bottoms that people who bottom are weaker people who bottom just like more there's a parallel with women right women get penetrated it it's it's almost a classical notion of sex right the classical notion of sex is that it's a relation of power so the person who gets penetrated is the powerless person in the relationship so for example in ancient rome when when people say ah homosexual sex was okay this is a lie men could penetrate other men but the worst type of prostitute was a man a free man who decided to prostitute himself because the male slave would be forced to prostitution right but the free man who was penetrated so who prostituted himself decided to lose his freedom his citizenship rights to go in what was considered the lowest form of submission which is being penetrated and somehow this is in some ways reached 2000 years later our society still so i think it would be that there's huge evolution on it but i think it would be that because especially for people that don't have a lot of contact with lgbt plus people unfortunately we still hear nowadays like who's the man who's the woman in the relationship and when you go like it doesn't work that way usually the common answer is yeah but you know what i mean no i don't well i do but i don't want to yeah yeah i mean i can imagine and yeah i'm just hoping with gen z and things changing this will uh, go in a better way where like uh hopefully but yeah i mean i think it, like prejudices in general are the things we still are like need a long way to go um but yeah i mean i'm hopeful uh, from the new generation um so i would like to ask you your best sex experience so far i think it's very hard to well especially when one is almost 40 to name a the best sex, sexual experience i've ever had and of course when one has relationships sex always tends to be better especially with time right you get to know so first you talk or you should talk uh, and you get to know the other person you get to know what they like they get to know what you like you get to know their bodies etc but thinking about this question i i do have a story itself um it happened at a cinema here in lisbon so there was this pornographic cinema um that a lot of gay men went to to have sex with each other so basically the way it would happen would be like you'd buy a ticket so ah uh, the the movie would go on and on it's like it went to the end and then it started all over again the same movie for all the time that the the cinema would be open so all the way most more or less up until midnight i think from 1 pm onwards um and and it would be a cruising spot for gays okay so you would sit you would watch the movie eventually you would masturbate someone would sit next to you and things would happen and the usual would be to go into the loo and have sex and i must have been i i don't remember exactly but i must have been 25 26 i was there and there was this cute guy he was surely a wee bit younger than me maybe 24 or 25 and we hooked up and we went to the loo there was, and i described this because there was no penetration sex well there was oral sex and there was masturbation but my huge turn on is on my neck like getting 
kissed and licked on my neck, which he did amazingly. And I, so this is the reason why I'm commenting on this specific story, because it was such an explosion of the senses, both with me and with him, because his uh, soft spot was the junction of the elbows, the part of the skin that joins the elbows and being licked that, which I did find curious at the time. And I asked him, so we imagine this, like we're in a loo, the door is closed, there's a bunch of guys sitting on each other at the urinals and at the other room in the cinema. And I asked him like, but why? Because he asked like, lick my, the junction of my elbow. And I was, I asked why, and he said, it turns me really on and I think it's super pleasurable. And we spent really good time on this, right? As I told you, there was masturbation, there was oral sex, I think at a given point, we likely were naked or almost naked and inside the loo. Um, so shirts would go off, pants would go down, but usually sneakers would stay on. Um, and it, it, it was one, one of the stories that, uh, that, that stayed with me the most because it was very, well, it was very fast, sorry. And there I was with this hot guy in a loo, in a cinema, and it was just a lot of pleasure. And not in the most common way, right? As I shared, there was no penetration sex. Maybe at the time I was still traumatized. I, I don't remember exactly. Uh, but it was really amazing. So I would describe it. It's very hard to say in relationships, like what was the best? Because it's more a continuum, right? Like maybe the, I don't know, maybe the best sex I've ever had was in an absolutely normal day with a partner I was with or a boyfriend I was with for a long while. Uh, but I would, I would, I would bring up this story. Also, I cherish it. I, I, I find it funny and and it's endearing to me as well. Yeah, and like from what I understood, the highlight of it, uh, like as I heard, is like him, uh, without you telling him, uh, discovering your pleasure points, like one of your top pleasure points, and then it's like a surprise for you at that time, and you are turned on by that so much because like it's a chance you know he wouldn't have guessed maybe this um yeah what do you think about this i don't know if he guessed it i usually give this indication of the neck so it might have happened uh i think i do remember him saying it to me that about the elbow because well i will remember more what i was told than what i said but it's that he did it so brilliantly. I almost remember the feeling of how it happened. So yeah, it was, and, and as I said, he, he was pretty hot. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I would like to switch a bit to the emotional side, the relationships. And yeah, I would like to ask you like in terms of this romantic connection. Uh, do you think there are significant differences between the gay couples and then straight couples when you compare, for example, the people around you, your friends? I'm going to say a few things that m most likely will not be super popular. And I want to make the disclaimer that I'm not the best read person about LGBT plus issues. So it's a lot based on my experience and on empirical experience, right? So exactly as you're saying, the people I know and observation of behaviors around me. 
I used to say, I don't know today, I really don't know if I still fully agree with it, but I used to say that the the biggest division was not men and women. Well, it, to the point that nowadays we're talking so much about different genders that it's surely not just men and women, so it's not only binary, but between um, gays, gay and straight, which would also not be exactly like that because we know the spectrum is much bigger than than gay and straight. Uh, uh, sorry, I apologize. No, the other way around. So the biggest difference is men and women and not the sexual orientation because it has been studied uh, gay male relationships and female gay relationships and there are certain differences. I think that uh, this book I, I uh, mentioned Gay Friends by, by Lee Rutledge. He talks about this, about gay friends, but also about um, a wee bit about gay relationships, romantic gay relationships. I, I can start with the detail. Usually we start with general things, but I can start with the detail. There's something I've noticed that I really love both to, to watch and when I am in a relationship, which is usually couples, straight couples, if they don't see each other for a very long while, um, or they're in a very tense, tense, like not in between them, but one of them's facing something very tense, etc. They tend to kiss, right? Gay male tend to hug in a very like, usually in a, I, I don't know, this, this is not going to sound the best way, but like in a butch way, like hug, like in a very male friend like way. And I think that that's when a, of the visual differences I like the most. That's a bit this buddy thing, right? And then of course that there are there are differences. Well, we do tend to value sex a lot and the physical relation. I think that men in general are able to distance themselves more on the physical and the emotional part. Um, I remember when I, what, the beginning of the century in 2001, there was a super famous series, uh, Queer as Folk. It's being, uh, it, it's, it, it's uh, on streaming again, but like a reimagined series. And uh, it was the first time I, I heard about an open relationship and a couple defining rules for an open relationship. And the reason, so the argumentation behind an open relationship and I do, I do think slash feel personally and from my observation with friends that gay males have usually this separated in a more defined way. Like it, it's also very important here to make the differences in an open relationship is not a polygamic relationship. It's still monogamic or like one of the sexual colonists I follow um, Dan Savage says monogamish. So what do I mean with this? Because you're just having sex with other people. You just have one relationship with that person. You don't have several relationships. You're not polyamorous, right? You just have your monoromantic and polysexual maybe on the relationship, right? And um, I think this happens more on, 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 for what I see, if it doesn't happen more, it's more open on gay male relations. Gay males talk more about it. I, I have very little knowledge about female relationships. I'm saying this is opposition, in opposition to straight relationships. If there is any sort of deal in straight relationships, uh, it, will, it, it will be less covered for. 
And I have asked straight friends, like male straight friends, like that, ha that are in long committed relationships, would you have, if it was allowed, would you have sex with other women? And usually the answer is yes. It varies. I had people saying like, I would, but I would not open the relationship as I cannot stand the thought of my girlfriend slash wife having sex with another bloke. But, and or I've heard I would, I was, I admit my prejudice. I was very shocked at a lunch with friends from high school. Uh, someone said like, it was a girl that said, I would, I would have an open relationship. Like I think my husband would like it, but I would have an open relationship and I would not mind. And I admit my prejudice that I was a bit shocked that it was a woman saying this because we usually think it's guys who want yeah. open relationships. Uh, I, I've seen it happen. I, I know straight couples that have some sort of deal or open relationships. But I think it's that. So I would make those two differences like they're more open about separating these two things. And the type of romantic intimacy, it's also different. It's more into this male camaraderie, I think. And again, this is very based on, on personal things because this is something that from the romantic side really attracts me. Mm -hmm. I, If we were to be very, very, very technical, I would describe myself as bisexual and homoromantic. So I do feel some sort of sexual attraction by women. And when I understood this, I thought, yeah, but like everybody does, like every gay guy does. And then I spoke with gay friends and I could see this is not true. Like many, the vast majority of gay male I know have no sexual attraction by women. It's just that I have a much higher sexual attraction by men and also that YouTuber I, I spoke about, he's bisexual, and he was the first person I heard that, contrary to the general thought that bisexual people are like 50-50 or 50% attracted by men, it's usually the opposite, like there will always be a preference. So in very technical terms, I would be bisexual, homoromantic, so I would never have a relationship with a woman. I don't feel any attraction towards that of having a relationship with a woman and because i think i feel very attracted amongst other things to this male camaraderie between between on, on a same-sex male relationship okay like thank you so much uh i've just gained a new perspective here about open relationships and the thing you mentioned like being monoromantic but polysexual yeah for me for example yeah the way i see it the question popping up in my mind um, by doing this you are also like creating an openness for the next person you are going to have sex with maybe you'll have this amazing connection and then you will you might have start to have more feelings for him and then will it threaten your current relationship so that would be like my concern what do you think about this I think this is a classical argument, and I also think this is a classical um, mistake because it's empirical. We know that it's not the fact that relationships are not open that prevents having sex with other people or or having a, a romantic attraction by other people. I think we also grew up with the idea that it's it's very odd. This right, like. Uh, we can all love several people in different areas of our lives. We can love several friends. We can love several brothers and sisters if we have them, cousins, parents, etc. But we can only romantically love one person. And when I grew up, there was this myth that 
you can only feel romantically attracted by one person at a time. And I think, well, I, apparently this is not true. Like you can fall in love with several people at the same time and be in love with several people at the same time. Uh, well, not apparently it is true. Like we, we have trios and we have polyamorous relationships uh, that work and the um, people are happy on them. But then I think it's understanding what you can cope with personally, right? Like personally, I, uh, of course, I'm also the product of the society I live in. So regardless of deconstruction, I still will have a lot of premises that are based on the way I grew up, etc. So I don't think I would be able to romantically sh share a relationship with more than one person. But I do think that's a false argument. There are, and because it's empirically proved, right? Like, uh, it, it, it's that. It's like, it's not that the fact that you're in a close relationship that does not create space for others. We know of marriages that lasted for years and one of the spouses had a parallel relationship for the biggest part of that marriage. We know of relationships that last long and people uh, um, had... Um, parallel relationships were in love with other people i think that even if you have a monogamous relationship to use the, the term of uh, savages term you still fall in love with other people i think we constantly fall in love with other people in many different ways i i think that one of the uh, i was sharing this actually yesterday with a friend i think one of the most elegant things that are uh, there is is for example two people who are in a relationship and meet socially and flirt with each other, knowing that it's an innocent, but nothing will come out of it. They will not have sex with each other, etc. But they are just flirting, right? They're just still somehow in the game. And I, I find it super elegant when, when that happens and super fun. Um, so I, I don't, I, I, I know this is the most common argument, like by doing so you're opening space, but it's not the fact that you close your relationship. And even with rules, because most open relationships have rules, precisely to prevent that, if having a parallel relationship is something that's considered a betrayal, which has happened on, which has happened with me when I had open relationships, uh, e even then there's space for the other person, another person to get in, right? It's not, we're constantly exposed to other people, we're constantly exposed to other people visually, so for sexual attraction, intellectually. So I, I, I think it's a false argument. Okay, thank you so much for explaining. Now it's coming all together better on my mind. Um, then, yeah, I, I will move on with my favorite question. Uh, what does pleasure mean to you and how do you make time for it in your life? There's something I, I say often, which is, um, it's very funny that we program everything in our lives, right? It goes from the clothes we wear on a daily basis and how we combat hairs to deeper stuff like if we're going to have children, whom are we going to marry, where are we going to live, what career are we going to have? But sex is spontaneous. I hate when I hook up with guys on dating apps and it's like, what are you into? Everything. No, you're lazy. That's a lazy answer. Nobody is into everything. Ah, let's, let's, let's let it happen. No, like you need to speak about it. Like, especially if it's a one night stand, I need to know what you're into. Like, I need to know how to give you pleasure. And I'd like to tell you how you can give me pleasure. Right? Like it happened with that guy, as I said, like, I was, I likely told him about my neck and he told me for sure about his elbow. So 
I think that uh, it's very important that we think about it and that we also program this. Of course, there must be an element of it being spontaneous. But the other day I was listening to a podcast, a Brazilian podcast, and there was this um, 50, uh, woman in her early 50s and she said, if you have a 30-year marriage, there's no room for spontaneous. Like, even if you buy a new lingerie, even if you show naked in front of your husband, okay, he has seen you naked for the past 30 years. There needs to be some element of programming it. It sounds very... It sounds like a turn off and it sounds very unromantic, but it's what she said, like, then it's cold, then it's winter, then they don't notice. And then it's been years and you don't have sex. So I try to have that time both with, par with, a, with a partner and alone. I think that's very important. And I think that especially with males, there's this terrible, terrible misconception, both with gay males and straight males that uh, I have a girlfriend, I have a boyfriend, I don't need to masturbate. So masturbate, masturbation is just a solution until you have a sex, an active sexual partner. And this, uh, I've always found this argument very silly. I, I don't want to be offensive towards people that have a sexual partner and do not masturbate. Uh, but I just think that it's the relation, this relation they, they build in between, uh, I don't masturbate anymore because I have a sexual partner. So I think it's important to me to explore my sexuality alone. So to create time, more or less, I would say on a daily basis, I think when old age strikes and work and pressure, et cetera, it doesn't happen as often. But I think it's important. Like I remember a friend telling me, uh, why wouldn't I give myself an orgasm on a daily basis? Right? Like it's something that's pleasurable and also so important on many levels. It has been scientifically proven. So why wouldn't I do that? And of course, to be with someone else. I, I'm not, I found out I'm not, with life, that I'm not the most romantic person. And sexually, I am surely not romantic. Um, but I do like some surprise event. But I, 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 I prefer to, it's not exactly schedule it, but have an idea of when it's going to happen, talk about it make time for it right it's and and we do like when we're teenagers and we start having an active sex life like when we were in school and we knew that we wouldn't have classes on thursday afternoon we knew we would have sex on thursday afternoon when we were in uh, university and uh, we were going out for drinks on fridays and saturdays we knew we were gonna have sex then right so yeah, I, in, in that way, I think it's, it's important that, that we program it and that we make time for it, both alone and in company with another person or with other people. Yes, and I agree with you. I also think that planning is also really sexy. And yeah, I was also talking with my friend about this, like when we plan our meetups with friends, it doesn't make it less enjoyable when we get together, right? So for sex as well, especially in a long-term uh, relationship, I think, yeah, that's something totally normal and like, yeah, should be normalized in my point of view, of course. Uh, yeah. For me, it's even more the other way around. Like it's, I love the buildup. It's super pleasurable. Like when I create an event, when I organize something, like the buildup for it is, I, if I 
throw a dinner party at my place. It's something I love to do and I love to plan it with some time ahead because I love the preparation of it and thinking what I'll cook, what it will be, how it will happen, etc. reaching out to people. So with sex, it also really turns me on that, that build up, like that conversation, like when it will happen, how it will, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And another question uh, to fill in the blanks, sex is better when? Sex is better when you talk. Sex is better when you talk. Sex, it, 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 again, we go into the spontaneous bit, right? Like uh, you, you should talk about it, it be it a, a one night stand. And well, you should give some pointers to the person. I have had, I think we all did. I have had terrible one night stands. For example, I hate being bitten. I hate being bitten. It's a huge turn off to me. And I remember I was uh, my first year in uh, university. And there was this guy I hooked up with and we went somewhere on his car and he parked the car and we start kissing and he starts biting my neck and he starts biting my ears. And awful, awful. I just wanted it to be over with. Um, so I think definitely sex is better when, when we talk, when we discuss it. And you said, I just wanted to be over with. Like, how do you feel about giving direct feedback at that time at that point uh, how do you feel about stopping people when there's something you don't like it will depend a lot on the person right i'm a person that not, well i i dislike confrontation and well for, at, at this situation i was 18 so i was proper young um and i also think that we need to understand the value of that moment like Am I going to hook up with this person again? Is this, is this like a guy I've been seeing and this time it went really bad. So I really need to give some pointers. So this is a person I've been with for a while and uh, we, he tried something new. It went awfully wrong and I need to let him know or I need to be let known. I think that, that yes, feedback should be given. I think we should be super careful with it, especially in uh, my end, because it's male to male. And I think guys are pretty sensitive in receiving feedback about sex. Um, it's always very much your idea, right? That every guy is super sexual and hence naturally good for sex and stallion, etc. So I, I think we should be, we should be cons very considerate and understand that's about the other person. So even if it goes awfully wrong and it's a one night stand, like, am I telling this other person just because I want to vent out on it and it's because of me, not because of them. So I just want to feel better with it because it was so awful. And I want to tell you to your face that, boy, you were really bad at it. Or is it something that I think will be useful for the other person? Because of course it will depend on how you say it, but what's the value of one night sense going to give to feedback I'll give them? It, I, it, it, it's also a question that I think it's valid. Like how, how is this person going to take it? Like, and are they going to value it? Are they going to take it into consideration? I think most likely not. Really? I think they have to, because it's your body at the end of the day, at first for me, for example, and if you don't tell them how they will know. But I think here it's different. Like imagine, for example, with that guy, if, if it had come to a point that was awful, like I told about when I lost my virginity, I would have said something. 
But again, also, I dislike confrontation, as I said, so maybe it's based on that. But I, yeah, I wouldn't. And I don't think that, to be totally honest, I don't think I would take it, unless it was said in an extremely careful way, I don't think I would take it super well from uh, when it stands. One thing is saying, like, could we stop this? Or could we try something else? Or this is not really my thing, or I dislike it, etc. Another thing is going like, in the end, going like, hey, actually, I have feedback for you. Like, what you did biting my neck, it was really terrible. But yeah, it was for me, but likely we're not going to have sex again precisely because of that. So maybe there are other people who love it. This is the guy I learned with to tell, because there were so many people to talk about biting, to tell them like, hey, don't. I hate it. It's a huge turn off for me. For for a, a sexual partner, sure, I think it's super important. Like, hey, that that was that wasn't good, that wasn't pleasurable, or that wasn't cool. Like you tried something, it was too forward. Maybe it would be best that we had spoken about it before. So yeah, there I would, and and I would take feedback better as well. Like even if it would be hard at first, like I I would try and accommodate it. Precisely because of what you said, like, I also need to understand that, well, first, it's like they're coming, or I have to imagine they're coming from a good place, right, like sharing this with me so that I can improve or for it to be better between us. And it's their body that I need to to respect. So I'm doing something on their body or to their bodies that they dislike. So, yeah. Okay, and then um, if you could give any sex advice to your younger self, what would you say to him? I think it's pretty obvious, right? Don't lie about losing your virginity. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I would I would say that like you don't need um, you don't need to be so splashy and so straightforward about sex, etc. To stand out, there are other things. Uh, I do look kindly on this teenager I was. It, it was, as I said, it was a harsh environment. I grew up in the Lisbon suburbs. Uh, it, so I, I came to study in Lisbon in 1999, so literally last century. I did high school from year 10 to year 12. Uh, and and th- this is a common behavior, which is when you're alone and you're bullied and and you can't hide it because, as I said, I was really effeminate and I... I think one of the reactions is, okay, so I'm going to shove it down your throat. I'm going to be super gay. I'm going to be the gayest gay ever that you've ever seen. This friend with whom I lost my virginity that I said was one of my close friends once jokingly said, the faggot you once were would be ashamed of the gay you've become. Um, because like, I was much more... Uh, like. Uh, out there and outrageous and uh, dramatic, etc. But I think it's a natural rea- reaction to not being accepted, right? It's a confrontation. Like you don't accept me, so I'll I'll make it terrible. Like yeah. I, I I you will not be able to deny me or to shunt me or I'm I'm gonna stand out. Um, but I would give that advice. Like don't lie about what you've done sexually do the opposite be honest about it and feel free to be really outrageous and dramatic but for yourself rather than just to to make a stand right Uh, i think i i hear a lot a lot 
this about, uh, especially from straight men, like, I have nothing against gays and gay men. I just have something against faggots and very effeminate men and such a such a prejudice sentence, right? Like, okay, so it's okay if I'm very heteronormative, but it's not okay, like, ah, but drag queens, etc. I think this is very odd. Let them be. You don't like drag queens, then go to a drag show. You don't like effeminate men, don't have them in your life. You don't need to befriend them. But I think the sentence is really strong, right? It's like, I'm yeah. okay with gays, but... Uh, yeah, that that would that would be that would be my advice. Yeah. And thank you so much for joining me today, coming and sharing your perspective. I'm really happy to have you and thank you. Thank you so much. It was great. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me.